Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss and I'm joined as ever by Jonathan Fredugba. And uh, well, we're certainly well into the uh, starts of the season now. Plenty of action going on in both Norway and Sweden. And it's busy times, isn't it, John? Hi everyone and hi to you, Steve. Yes, we are having busy times. It's uh, five games in, in Sweden. And um, yeah, things are going well. Yeah, it's uh, busy times and I've been watching quite a lot of the, the action out there and, uh, you know, it's quite interesting because obviously a lot of the mainstream leagues are coming to the end of their, their seasons and, um, you know, I always kind of switch off a little bit um, in certain leagues like like ones that I cover such as French League, uh, which has been a bit of a, uh, you know, procession for, for a long time now. So it's always good to have these uh, new fresh leagues, uh, in, you know, in the springtime to, to to keep going. Have you uh, have you been up to much, my friend? And as you say, you, a lot of the European leagues are ending, so this is the time for Sweden and Norway to step out and emerge from the shadows and start to shine. Yes, I've been enjoying the um, the league so far. It's been been really quite interesting. There's no team that scored more than ten goals in five games yet, uh, and I think no team has scored conceded more than ten goals. So very well balanced league in Sweden at the moment, and there's been a few shocks as well. Yeah. So uh, well, in this particular episode, the uh, the Norwegian section is uh, going to be a little bit different because uh, I've um, been interviewing a, a special guest out, out there in Norway, uh, Gunnar Tolnes uh, from Eurosport Norway. So uh, we're going to run with that part in the uh, in the first section of the podcast, and then we're going to be talking about. Um, the Swedish Asvenskan uh, after after that interview. Yeah, Steve has uh, replaced me there for the Norwegian section. I'm very, very upset. But uh, I will yield to the superior knowledge and I'm quite looking forward to hearing it myself as well, actually. So, yeah, looking forward to getting into that. Yes, let's get straight into the action. Here's that interview I did earlier where we talked about all things Elita Serien amongst uh, many other things. So uh, here it is. And on this episode, we are delighted to be joined by a special guest uh, from uh, Eurosport Norway, uh, Gunnhild Tomnes. Thanks very much for joining us on the Nordic Football Podcast, Gunnhild. How are you? Uh, I'm so good. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to talk about Elite Zayen with uh, an Englishman. Yeah, uh, Gunnhild does her own podcast on the uh, Eurosport Norway, and she is a reporter uh, goes to loads of elite area matches throughout the whole country. And uh, I do believe uh, the most recent match you were at was uh, on Monday in Tron time. You were there to see Rosenborg against uh, Strunz Gutzer. And uh, well, what did you make of it, uh, Gunhill? A nil-nil draw? It was a draw and it was not maybe the best game uh, to watch. But um, there was something to take from it from uh, Rosenborg perspective. They've been quite bad the first rounds and they just wanted to see something that was better and they they went out in a different formation uh Eddie Kornland their coach uh went back to like the classical Rosenberg formation 4-3-3 and it worked pretty good they created more chances and uh they saw positive things that they can build on when going to Molde next weekend but still Nilnil isn't good enough course and they still haven't won so pressure on him and the Rosenberg is still there 
Yes, we we really have to talk about about Rosenborg um, quite in detail because they're the big topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, we actually have a lot of uh, listeners who are from uh, the USA, and um, they there's a lot of Rosenborg fans out there. They're obviously quite a popular club worldwide. You might find that surprising. I don't know yeah. um, within within Norway, but. Um, I mean, we we have a particular fan, a loyal fan, uh, CJ, uh, on uh, Twitter at uh, Ted Cruz ate my son is his hashtag, um, and he asked a question. It's a little bit tongue in cheek, but um, when will Horneland finally be sacked, and who will, re- will replace him? Yeah. It, it seems there's a lot of early panic, but is he under? Is he under quite a lot of pressure? Would you say? I think it would be stupid to say that uh, Eric Horneland isn't under any pressure because. As a Rosenberg coach, without good results, you kind of always are. You have to win. But at the same time, the message from the board and um, from the club is that they are going to give him time. And I don't think he's going to be sacked if they lose against uh, Molde on Sunday. I think they really want this to work, both because they believe in him. He has come in with a fresh energy, with new ways of seeing things. And... Also, he's handled the pressure in the first rounds now really well. I mean, there's so many critical journalists at Lerkendal now every day. And he just responds to everything in, in a really professional manner. He's, he's done really well uh, on that perspective. And um, also, I think with everything that happened with the previous coach, the way he was sacked and the trial they had with the, between the club and him, they don't want to go through anything like that so soon again. So they just want it to work. I think they're going to give him time. Yeah, you've been up there, obviously, to watch the game. And you're also witnessing some of their training sessions. You'll know what the overall mood and atmosphere is like. Um, is it as bad as it's perceived on the outside? Or is there a bit more positivity within the camp, would you say? Uh, I think so. I think they... Uh... They really want it to work, the players as well. But they, at the same time, I think it's a difficult uh, squad to lead because uh, these are players that are mature. They're around 30, many of them. They've been doing so well the last years in winning Elite Serien and the Cup. And they're just used to having success. And now uh, they have a coach that... Um, demands other things of them and has new ideas and that's not i think that's not the the easiest thing for a new coach to to try to turn things around in a group like that so i think there has been some discussions in the inside club but at the same time i think now they really want to give him a chance as well so i think from the outside from media perspective we think there's more uh, there's more uh, trouble inside than than it really is. Of course, they're not happy and they're disappointed and everything, but they think they're gonna come back. Yeah, I mean, what I tend to, I'm, I'm getting asked by everyone now, even those people who don't really follow Norwegian football that much, because anyone who keeps who has an interest in football will see the Elitesarian results and presume Rosenborg are gonna win mm-hmm. most weeks. And, you know, I'm getting people asking me, what is going on there? What's the problem? Well, I'll tell you what the big problem is in terms of statistics. According to Scout data, uh, their expected goals is just 
3.36 expected goals in, in, in four matches, which is the second worst in the elitist area, and only Ranheim have a worst expected goal. So the problem is clearly, in terms of the attacking third, that it doesn't seem to be working for them at this point in time. Do you think that is because of the new coach's his tactics? He kind of is perceived as a more, well, I'm not, I'm not saying negative coach, but a more disciplined sort of coach. Do you think that is at the moment he's just finding his feet a little bit in that regard? I definitely think so. Uh, Eddie Kornelan's philosophy is 4-4-1-1, 4-4-2. He likes to build a a solid defensive structure. That's his thing. He's not the offensive uh, coach, uh, and that's not how he has been uh, putting his teams up before he came to Rosenberg. So... It's a bit of a clash there with Rosenborg supposed to create a lot of chances, score a lot of goals. Uh, and he really thought he was going to make his formation work uh, at an early stage in Rosenborg. But he said uh, on Tuesday after the game against the Gutze, I made a mistake. Uh, I thought this was going to be a lot easier. And now we're going to stick to 4-3-3. The boys know that formation. And this, is go- uh, this is how we're going to play from now on. And with that formation on Monday, they created more chances. So I think we're going to see Rosenberg more like themselves from now on. I watched the the, whole, the second half of that game. Um, I was all, I'm was i always very interested to see Samuel Adingbenra come on the field. He's one of my favourite players. I actually think he's the best player in the league when he's at full fitness. That's my personal opinion of him. Mm-hmm. Um if they can keep him fit, do you think he's going to be a massive part for Rosenborg, or does Hornerland prefer other options on the wing? Uh, I think definitely he could be. He is one of the best players they have. But um, the big question here is, Eric Hornerland, he wants to drive his players uh, so tough. He's, he's, a really, he's a coach that says that you have to train so hard that you risk to get injured. And that philosophy doesn't suit very well to Samuel Odegbenero. So his uh, his problem or his um, issue is to stay fit, to don't get injured. If he does that, he can be a big player for him. But I am concerned maybe the Hornelon regime is uh, too tough for him. Yeah, and that's got to be a concern to other uh, players. Uh, I mean, Rosenborg have had a lot of injuries in recent years. Paul Andre Helland, for example, although he actually looks in fairly good form, actually, I would say, at the moment anyway, but it can't be long before he goes down injured. Okay, well, at Rosenborg, you know, let's be interesting to see how they improve. They've only got two points on the board right now. Already, a lot of people are saying there's no way they can win the gold medal. So if they can't win the gold medal, who do you think is the most likely to win it? And two teams that come up um, regularly in conversation this year is, is Mulder and, and Saftborg. Mm-hmm. Would you say those two teams are the most likely now to, to battle it out for, for the title? Uh, ahead of the season, I said Mulder would win the little set in 2019, and I still think so. Uh, they are um, really exciting to watch at the moment. They didn't show up against their game away uh, in Buda, lost to Glimt, but besides from that, they've done the job, they look solid, uh, they have so many good uh, players, really strong squad. Um, it's so strong, it's even a challenge for Aling Mu to keep everyone fit and happy because uh, they have so many ele- uh, players that could be in the starting 11. Uh, 
but I think they are the biggest uh, favorite at the moment. Uh, and I think they're going to take it. Mm. I, I thought this at the start of the season as well. They seem to have the, the, the hunger and the, the best balanced squad. And um, obviously this weekend is a big match. Mulder against Rosenborg. And it is a fixture that Mulder have had success in recently. Um, are you going to give us a prediction for that game, Gunil? Do you do you think Mulder will win? Uh, Mulder definitely looks better than Rosenborg at the moment, but at the same time, it just would be typical Elite Sarian if Rosenborg win that game and hit back. So for me, it's a really it's an open game. Uh, this happened the last season as well. It was we started badly and then they met Molde and then they hit back. It's a really special game uh, game for both uh, cities, both Molde and Trondheim. The fans hate each other. Um, it's going to be a really special 90 minutes on, on Sunday. So I think it's open. I don't think um, uh, it's... Um, I don't think Molde is going into that game as big, big favourites. Interesting uh, that you say that. So, uh, well, well, two teams that faced each other on Monday have had a good start to the season. Uh, Buda Glimt and uh, Sarsborg. It ended in a one-all draw. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I watched this game and it, there should have been a lot more goals in it. Um, yeah. Both goalkeepers actually had very good games. Um, I don't particularly rate the goalkeeping much in the Elitasarian, but Vazutin and Friedrich, who I've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, actually... I do. I think they're quality goalkeepers. But a one-all draw. It's the first time Buda Glimt have actually dropped points this season. Uh, someone actually sent us in a question. Uh, he said, uh, "This is uh, this is Liam. Is his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, have Buda Glimt had a blip this week, or will they keep it up for the rest of the season? I mean, I wouldn't call it a blip. Me neither. Against Sarpsborg, would you? But um, they have. They've been surprisingly good, and they're not. They're not in the position they are by luck. They deserved it, haven't they? They have definitely deserved it. And uh, out of all the teams, I think maybe Bordeaux has impressed me the most because, uh, as you say, this isn't about luck. They have developed so much from last year. They have really good individual players that are shining at the moment, but they also have good relations. It's such a strong uh, collective right now. They play so much better together. And uh, this is... Uh, an even bigger achievement when you think about that Patrick um, Barik, their midfielder. He was injured uh, in the first round and he was such a big part of this team. And he went out and they managed to fix it uh, without him as well. So Budogren, for me, is so impressive. Yeah, I have to say, I don't think they can necessarily keep it up for the whole season, but uh, they, they're not They've not been lucky. That, I think that's the thing that stands out with me. Statistically, they deserved everything they have. And uh, just a word on Sarsborg before we move on, because in, they always seem to me like they're the best collected team. They don't have star individuals necessarily, but as a team, they just work so well together, don't they? They do, definitely. Uh, such a strong moral in that team. Uh, a really strong collective, as you say. And star players, when you're talking about that, maybe they lost their biggest uh, one of the biggest stars uh, after last season in Patrick Mortensen, who was their goal scorer and their leading star um, in, uh, in, front of the, uh, in front of the midfielder. So I think that's hit them pretty hard. They have uh, uh, Stefan Lee Skorovic, who has 
like a hardworking striker who runs all the time, but maybe doesn't score enough goals. So the question is, who will take that responsibility? Uh, is it good enough with him and last year, Jürgen Salvesen? And I also had this young, really exciting player in uh, Jürgen Strand Larsen who can score goals. But I think that's maybe the big question with the Salzburg. Yes, yeah, I think that is the big question. If they can get mm. a striker scoring goals, then, then the, well, there's no limit to what they can achieve, perhaps. So uh, we've had a, a good little talk about the, the, the title to contenders there. Let's just talk a little about you, yourself personally, Gunnil, because there's a lot of um, listeners uh, in Norway will, will know who you are, a regular reporter with uh, Eurosport uh, Norway there. But uh, for the English listeners... Um, Tell us a little bit about your role with um, as a sports reporter at Eurosport Norway and uh, and how it's been going for you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the right holders of Elite Serien in Norway. So when the season starts in March, April, we pretty much live as football players every weekend. We have one or two games. So I travel to all the Elite Serien cities in Norway, um, having a studio on on the field with a build-up in the break and, and after and um, and this is what we do all season long so uh, all those all the rounds i have one or two games where i'm um, standing on the field and also we have a a podcast uh, every week uh, myself and two one commentator and one expert where we discuss what happened and we look forward to the next round uh, and we also have this uh, weekly Monday night show after the Monday uh, football game uh, where we sit in the studio and talk about what has happened. So, uh, but this is uh, what I love to do. And I've dreamed about it since I was seven years old. So uh, this is perfect for me. Yeah, you're very a Monday night football over in Norway. I mean, we have a Monday night football over in um, over here in the UK. Mm-hmm. We have Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher do their stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, Norway's very own Monday night football. But has it been a tough route for you in in into journalism, uh, football journalism? Would you say? I mean, especially as a as a lady coming in. I know over here in the UK, for example, mm-hmm. it's still a little bit difficult for for females to get into the footballing field. But I do know there's a lot more equality in 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 in, in Scandinavia with this regard. We are um, two female reporters here, and actually we have one female commentator, and that is big for me. Um, she's the first Norwegian um, female commentator on men's football, and that was a big deal when she started doing that last year. I don't know what people in England would say if uh, if a woman was commentating Premier League <laughs> uh, so um, so uh, we are getting somewhere definitely um, my roots here I uh, I think I wanted this from I was so little so I, I worked determined to get here uh, I started writing uh, on a volunteer basis in a football magazine actually is the Norwegian Tottenham supporter magazine because I'm a huge Tottenham fan so I started writing for them 10 years ago. That got me uh, a job in a local newspaper. And from that position, I got into a national newspaper and just moved uh, upwards. So I worked for it. But um, I think in Norway, people really 
wanted to be both men and women in in the media, uh, sports media. So maybe it isn't as difficult here as it is in, in England. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a statistic here, actually. Um, of From the UK sports media, 63 writers were sent to the FIFA World Cup last year. And out of 63 writers, only three were female. Mm. And and that is, it, over here, it's a little bit different. Um, it is getting better, I would say that. Um, but, you know, people kick up a fuss when we get a female linesman over here, mm. uh, for example. But uh, I, I know in France, for example, and I'll just give a quick shout out to her now, actually. Stephanie Frappard is uh, refereeing in French uh, League Earth for the first time this coming weekend. Uh, a tremendous referee. Uh, she uh, She's uh, done her duty in the French second tier, and now she is getting a promotion up this weekend. Good luck to Stephanie. Um, anyway, on your um, various trips around the country, do you have any preferred sort of stadiums and destinations? I mean, it's a beautiful country, isn't it, Norway, I must say. Some of the the backgrounds and the uh, yes, some of the stadiums might not be that great, but uh, the scenery is fantastic, isn't it? The scenery is fantastic. The Molde Stadium is close to the water with the mountains in the back. It's really beautiful, um, and I think uh, when you go um, throughout the country and meet different clubs, it's, it's really difficult. When you come to Rosenborg and to Leikendal, it's like uh, this feeling of uh, professionalism and it's a big stadium, uh, really nice people. But if you go to small towns like Haugesen, uh they're maybe even more down to earth and just so happy that we're there. So they just fix everything for us. So uh, each city has its different charm, I would say. Uh, but of course, uh, the games that I love the most is big games like uh, Molde, Rosenborg. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and when it really matters, uh, when we come to the autumn and and uh, and it's starting to be exciting, that's maybe the funniest games to have. In terms of actual viewer numbers, I, I do remember seeing a statistic last year towards the end, the title decider in Bergen, Peran against Rosenborg. I think that got the most viewers for an elite Serie match in 2018. Mm. But in terms of the general footballing viewing audience in Norway, is something like the English Premier League still the biggest that people are more interested in, in or is the elite Assyrian, uh getting better in terms of popularity or getting worse? Uh, it's getting better, um, but we see that it's the big games that rate and the the smaller games, um, the, that numbers they num the numbers of them are are low. So it's really different from game to game, but. In Norway, of course, the Premier League is so important. Uh, so many Liverpool and Manchester United fans here. So, and also the football, of course, it's a lot better. But I think with Elite Sen, you get something else. So that's uh, what makes it good for me. It's not it's not the best football in the world, uh, but it's something else, and it's our football and um, and the entertainment. I think is good. Yes, I always say to a lot of my friends over here in England, um, when they've got nothing to do in the summer apart from play cricket, um, to watch some Norwegian games because there's a real honesty mm. about how the league is played, in my opinion. Um, I don't think there's as much diving, as much time-wasting um, and negativity as in some, some of the other leagues around. I, I say that's a really good part about uh, the Elite Assyrian. 
just want a quick chat about VAR because obviously you're in the media there. And uh, do you think do you think VAR is is needed in Norway? And and would it work well in in the elite serien? Do you think or, or not? I know that the Norwegian referees they really want us to have uh, have VAR because that would qualify them to bigger games. So. They're really pushing for it. Um, I don't. I, I think it's going to take some time until we see it here. Uh, but if everyone else has it, I mean, uh, we should too, if we want to compete. Like Rosenborg wants to go uh, in Europa League and compete there in the future. I mean, it would be. I think it would be good. Uh, but I think it's going to be a long time until we have it. I, yeah, I, I think obviously if, if everywhere everywhere else is getting it, then Norway is going to have to um, join them really. But I must say, I don't seem to notice that many really bad mistakes in, in, in the league. Um, I think the refereeing is actually quite good, to be fair. But uh, I think they're happy to hear you say that because the Norwegian uh, managers wouldn't agree with you. They're complaining every <laughs> weekend, but... Um... Of course, the referees are going to make mistakes. That's the way it is. Um, they, they can't uh, be perfect. That's just how it is. Um, we're going to talk about Elite Serian Fantasy in a little bit of time. But just before we move on, I've got one other question to you about the conditions of Elite Serian matches and specifically pitches. Because it's been a topic of conversation recently, more so in Sweden, actually, I must say. Um, but in Norway, uh, this is the debate between grass pitches and artificial surfaces. Now, do you, I mean, if you if someone had watched a Lillestrom game recently, yeah. they'd be saying, you know, that is not proper football. How can you play on that pitch? Mm -hmm. At the same time, other people are saying you've got to play on a grass surface because that's where in, in the rest of the world most people play on grass. I know it's diff how difficult do you think it is to prepare a grass pitch in Norway, say southern Norway, not Tromsø, because yeah. they're still frozen there, aren't they? But in southern Norway, in, in the spring, is that really difficult, do you think? It's really difficult. It's really difficult and it costs a lot of money. And um, uh, I understand that small clubs uh, think it's almost impossible, uh, but... I think uh, the Norwegian Football Federation should make it even more easy for teams to have grass because that's a tendency now that everyone wants it. Uh, we don't have many uh, grass uh, pitches left, but I think um, more and more people see that we, we have to have it if we want to develop uh, the football we have here. So um, it's difficult, maybe impossible some places, but but we, we have to try. Yeah, it is very difficult and a lot of money as well. Mm. Clubs, it makes sense for them to have the artificial surfaces uh, for sure. So, uh, well, anyway, I just want to talk a little bit about Elitisarian Fantasy now because this has actually become quite big yeah. over here in the UK. Um, it's taken off and I think it's going to be even more popular when the Premier League finishes. Uh, again, no one else has really got anything to do in the summer. For those fantasy gurus out there who are obsessed with it but um and i know it's become quite popular over in norway as well um even I mean, i've seen a lot of you pundits and in, in the media tweeting about fantasy um you can follow gunhild on twitter um your twitter handle yeah, it's my last name and my first letter yeah yeah follow give her a follow on twitter 
um and she uh, will sometimes you might have to use google translate sometimes but um uh, she will uh, have some uh, well a lot of decent information on there so elitisarian fantasy then um, what players have caught your eye this year who do you need to have in your team gunhill at the moment you need to have uh magnus wolfaker he scored again last round uh, he's expensive i know but he's really uh hot at the moment he has four goals two assists he's so important in the molder team he's going to play every round unless he's injured and uh such a good player mm. yeah I've, uh, I've had him as my captain every week and he's delivered yeah he has yeah. Uh, another player that is perhaps more unknown is Jürgen Strand Larsen I mentioned him earlier in Salzburg he is not that expensive uh and he looks really well he he can score goals. Uh, I think he's he costs around six point five or something. Um, so that's a tip as well. But definitely Wolfake. Yeah. We did have a question on Twitter about the formation in Elitisarian Fantasy from Neil Baxter. Which formation do you think is the best to maximise points in the Elitisarian? It's a bit of a general question. This, but uh, do you think the do you think in, in the elitist area you need to be looking at defenders more or attackers more? I, I actually don't think there is like one formation that is best for this league. Uh, maybe it's a boring answer, but I don't think so. I mean, it's a good answer. I think you've got to my answer to, to Neil would be you've got to change it every week. Um even if you go five four one Neil, mm. you know, occasionally. Um, you've got to see what the fixtures are. You've got to see who's in your team, who's injured and who's fit. So uh, good luck, Neil. I know you've been uh, very keen this year on the Elitisarian fantasy in general. Well, uh, I think that'll about do, Gunnar Hill. It's uh, been a pleasure having you on board and we will look forward to following you uh, around the country um, this year. And uh, thanks very much for joining us on the Nordic Football Podcast. Thank you for having me. OK, that was Gunnar Tolnes on... The Nordic Football Podcast. Again, absolute pleasure to have her on board. I think uh, it was fantastic to talk about um, the Elitisarium with a, a native there. Um, she makes some very good points. And uh, I say, once again, brilliant. Thanks for coming on the show. We're going to take a little uh, break right now. Uh, after the interval, it's going to be time to talk about Sweden and the latest goings on there. And I'll bring back uh, Jonathan Fadugba into the arena. So, see you again very soon. Welcome back to the Nordic Football Podcast, and this is now the Swedish section. And there's been a lot of action in the Arsvenskan recently. A double game week um, has been uh, going on. On Wednesday night, five matches were played. And, I mean, the one that stood out to me was was Malmo, um, with a, a come-from-behind victory against uh, Hammerby. Four goals to one, John, and uh, they're certainly starting to pick up form, aren't they? Yeah, like a, a the juggernaut that they are. Um, Malmo are starting to pick things up together and, and putting the building blocks together like a very nice flat pack sofa from IKEA. Um, yeah, they, they you know they've scored nine goals now and conceded five. 
Uh, they've had a bit of a bit of a run recently after a bit of a poor start, in which obviously they lost, drew with Hacken and lost to Gif Sundsvall. But they've won the last three games consecutively, and in that period of time, they've scored seven goals in in those three games. Uh, obviously, beating Ostersunds, uh, Sirius away, and now Hammerby four-one, which is a, a very big result um, to the chagrin of uh, Vidar Kiartansen, who came out after the game and said he was disgusted by the um, by the defeat to Malmo. Um, and yeah, problems for Hammerby really, but um, Malmo have picked up some form. Yeah, they certainly have done. And I uh, remember you were mentioning in the a few episodes ago how their expected goals for and against. It was a bit, it wasn't a fair reflection of the results early doors. So, you know, they might easily be sitting here with five out of five wins. I mean, they missed some penalties, didn't they, early on? So it's very encouraging uh, for Malmo fans um, in that instance. In terms of Hammerby, it's, things are starting to go a little bit down down, down the spiral. I mean, they, they've had one win, but um, probably not where they want to be. No, and um, yeah, on your point there about expected goals, yeah, you, according to Wisecout data, Malmo, uh, have actually comfortably the best expected goals in the league, 9.29 goals, um, which tallies with their nine goals scored. So, yeah, they, they are looking good. Uh, the numbers are looking good for them, uh, as well as the sort of um, results. Uh, I think they're starting to pull away now. One interesting stat there is uh, Marcus Rosenberg. Um, he actually has 11 goals and six assists in 19 league games on Uwe Rosla since he, re- since he joined the club, the manager. Uh, and that's his best tally in five years. So he's really picked up form. Uh, he's, he's, he's mentioned and said after the game that obviously playing for Uwe Rosler, he's enjoying it. And um, the numbers are reflecting in that. So fantasy uh, Premier League players out there, uh, fantasy or Svenskan players, sorry, might want to be looking at Marcus Rosenborg as someone to maybe uh, add to their stable. He's, uh, he's really hit form. But um, yeah, Hammerby, on the positive side for them, I guess they've got the uh, highest pos- possession stats in the league. But possession really counts for nothing when you're twelfth uh, in the table with just one win from five games. Yes, I mean that was I said that result certainly caught my eye, and uh, I mean another one that uh, I mean we talked about Ostersunds, didn't we, in in a recent podcast that, that perhaps they've been a little bit lucky in terms of their uh, results, but they keep grinding out the points and uh, tight one nil win at uh, AFC Eskilstuna. I know you watched this game, John. What do you make of that one? Yeah, it was um, an interesting start to the game. It was, you know, well contested, I thought, very open at, at the beginning. Um, there was a lot of fouls and injuries towards the end of the game uh, and early in the second half, which kind of killed the momentum. Um, River Morrison, for example, is one who went off injured, uh, as did Jarrell Sellers. So the momentum was sucked out of the game a little bit, but uh, a good win for Ostersunds, who I think kind of needed that, to be fair. So what is the most impressive thing about Ostersunds at the moment, would you say, John? Well, we've talked on the last podcast about um, their underlying stats. So to be honest, there's not much impressive, really, uh, Steve. Um, they, I think they grinded the win out. It wasn't something that, that, that's that impressive. Uh, they've scored five goals, conceded five goals, uh, and you know, in five games played. They're up to fifth in the table, so very nice synchronicity there of fives. Um, but to be honest, they aren't really looking as good as the numbers suggest. I mentioned it on the last podcast, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, sorry to uh, Sean Constable and Ian Birchner there, but they have the lowest XG in the league still. 
uh, expected goals. So they're bottom of the table for expected goals. And they're top for expected goals against. So that's also a bad statistic. That means they, they've been expected to concede the most amount of goals according to underlying data of the league. Um, <clears throat> so really, they, you know, in terms of the statistics, they are the worst team in the table in terms of expected numbers. Um, but it's not been reflected in results. So <clears throat> whether that's a cause for concern, I know people who love statistics will tend to look at that and uh, say that's something to worry about. But um, they've managed to pick up some results, two wins. So at the moment, things are looking okay. I thought in the game today, Ravel Morrison looked quite heavy, actually. I didn't think he looked very sharp. Um, he played some nice passes, but <clears throat> didn't really... He looked a little bit just overweight to me, to be honest. I'm not sure how his fitness is, but uh, yeah, then he limped off as well. And it was a really good battle, actually, between him and uh, Adi Nalic, who's on loan from Malmo at AFC Eskastun. He's really been uh, one of the standout players in the league so far, in my opinion. And I just wanted to talk about Nalic, actually, briefly, but it ties in on the fact that them, them, those two in midfield had a really interesting battle. There was a lot of rough challenges with um, Nalic on Morrison. Um, they really were going toe-to-toe, and there was a couple of nice moments where they you know, shook hands or were getting in each other's faces. And they just had a little nice battle, I thought, which was a key key part of the game. Yeah, I've actually got him in my Aslenskan um, fantasy team. One of the few good uh, things that's actually come out of that team this year for me. Um, I also added uh, Islamovic from Ossesund recently, and he got me a goal tonight, I think. So, uh, But yeah. Nalic has been um, definitely catching the eye, hasn't he? Yeah, and you'll be happy to hear that Islamovic's goal was really good as well. Actually, he took it very well. Uh, a nice assist from Tasfal Dateki, who I, I, I rate, and I think I'm expecting things from him this season. Hopefully, he will pick up some form um, after a sort of mediocre season, really, last year. He didn't do too much of, of real excitement. Um, but Nalic, yeah, as you mentioned there, some interesting stats about Nalic, actually. Uh, he's a young player uh, on loan, as I said, but he's already you know, weighed in with some goals, and he's also had... The most highest number of fouls in the league. Uh, he's, been, he's, he's fouled more times than any player in the division and also had the most shots in the league, 17 shots on, on goal this season. Um, so, you know, he gets himself about a bit. He's not afraid to sort of mix, mix it up, um, put his body on the line. He's quite a sort of thin frame. He's not exactly a big lad. He's, he's a young player. But, he, you know, he, doesn't, he, he definitely can likes a bit of the rough stuff, you know, with, with his fouls. And he was really... It showed on this in this game because he was really putting himself about. But it shows that he's got different elements to his game. You know, he likes to, likes to shoot. He's waiting with a few goals. He's creative. He nearly scored. Uh, he's looking good, actually. He's been one of the, for me, one of the most interesting young players of the, the season so far. How is the um, how are the attendances doing at AFC Eskilstuna this season, John? I know they're not the most, uh, well, they're not a very well-supported club, are they? But have you... Uh... Have the fans been coming out in their numbers? Not particularly, no. <laughs> That's not really surprising, is it? But, uh, I mean, they had a good win, didn't they, didn't they, to start the season? But things seem to be going a little bit more pear-shaped for AFC uh, Eskilstuna. That's actually the first time that they failed to score a goal, though. So, uh, yeah, it's one that one to worth to can, uh, keep an eye on with AFC, where they can actually, uh, you know, move back up the table or stay down there. Well, they've fallen down. Three defeats in the last four games, and I think they just they were very open in this match. And I think apart from the striker Namani, I struggle to see the quality in in the forward line. So I think they're going to struggle to score goals. Really, they brought on 
Kamara, he didn't do too much. Um, Danny Avrizic, I wasn't that impressed with. I wonder where the goals come from AFC Eskos doing. I think also defensively they lack a bit of. Uh, they brought on Rachmaninoff, who's sort of a big lad, crouch sort of. He looked to me like a Peter Crouch type figure, um, but they didn't really. They didn't really offer much at all, to be honest. I, I wonder where the goals come from, from for them. Um, you know, obviously Nalic has, has weighed in with a couple, but yeah, they're they're starting starting to slump down the table. Yeah, I was I was starting to get a bit worried when they couldn't beat uh, Urubu at home. To be honest with you, that was a, an early warning sign to me. But uh, we're moving on, and uh, probably the biggest match on uh, on on uh, Wednesday night was AIK against uh, Hecken, and one uh, nil for AIK. No surprise there. How many one nils have they delivered in the last twelve months? In this league, uh, must be uh, absolutely tons of them. But uh, one nil victory, for AK. They've had a bit of slightly slow start, but they're stalking the leaders again, aren't they? They are indeed, Steve, with their four goals in five games. Um, not the purest's favourite, I don't think, in terms of uh, watch, watching them play football. To be honest, uh, I think Tony Pulis is probably rubbing his hands in delight every time they line up to take take the field. Um, but yeah, they're not they're not going to win any prizes for artistry at this moment in time. They're, they're struggling to uh, click into gear. I think. Uh, funnily enough, the manager switched things up tactically for this game. Uh, they've they've gone from their back five, which obviously won the title last season, and they've now switched to a four three three in this game against Hacken. Uh, four at the back, and uh, they went with uh, Henrik Goitem was back in the side. Jack Lane kept his place. Uh, so you know they've 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 gone for a bit more slightly you could argue offensive lineup, um, but they kept their defensive solidity and and in fact it was uh, down to a defender to win them the game Daniel Sundgren, so yeah it's just the same same old Oi core really just doing enough to grind out that win and uh, funnily enough it really upset the manager of Hacken who came out afterwards and described his team as uh, a disaster. Uh, sorry, not a disaster. He said that they were nowhere near winning the title um, based off their, their last two games, which they've obviously lost. Uh, they, they'd gone so well, you know, to begin the season, but um, defeat at home to a year guard and 1-0 and then, you know, defeat Oiko away that has left their, their manager. Uh, Alm, not happy at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this stage they just needed to get the the victory on the board, didn't they? Really, AIK there, and, and and that's not what they're all about. I think it was incredibly concerning that they lost to Oderbrew, uh, um, you know, away from home, two goals to one. That's shocking, isn't it? Really, but they rebounded with a good win there against uh, Hecken. Um, in terms of Hecken, they've 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 dropped off a little bit, haven't they? There was a lot of bright expectations. They had a great start to the year, but now two defeats in a row. They what's going on there? You know, two one nil defeats. The goals have dried up. Yeah, they have. And Paulino missed the game through in, uh, illness. Apparently, had a bit of food poisoning. I don't know if anyone uh, from Stockholm has been to um, any of the local sort of uh, eateries in in Gothenburg over the last few days, but uh, seemed to have affected uh, Paulino's stomach there, and he he was unfortunately not present for that game. And that's you know. We've analysed teams before, haven't we, Steve, in the past? And, um, you know, if we're looking at his importance to Hacken, it's, it's massive. You know, he's, he's a five-star player, really. Uh, and without him, they're a different prospect. Uh, so I think that had a big impact probably on the match. Uh, the other thing to note, is an interesting statistic for you here, maybe. B 
Birko Hakan in the last 18 trips to Oikor have drawn three and lost 15. God. <laughs> I, be, I mean, I, I've always said this to people because I often get, particularly gamblers, ask me how important are head-to-head records. And a lot of the time, my answer is it's a load of bollocks. However, there are, when it's so, you know, lopsided like that, then it, I think it can get into the players' heads mentally because that's very, very extreme, isn't it? Very extreme indeed, yeah. And, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy, to be honest. Uh, how could it going well? I mean, you know, they... The, the Falkenberg game when they won three 0 they looked really fluid and they were purring at, at times, and they, you know they had a good start to the season. I, I said before I question whether they can maybe win the title, and there was a lot of talk after the first three games that you know they could be there to stay after they picked up seven points from their opening nine, but you know these games, Uruguay and Home was very small margins, but they've come off the wrong end of the stick on both occasions, and I think that's just kind of exposed the fact that. You know, are they really ready to properly go for a title challenge? Teams like Uruguay and Oiko just seem to have a little bit more nous about them, and I think that showed in both these games, to be honest. Yeah, well, talking about a title challenge and, and Jorgarten, um, there's only one remaining team in the whole league who are unbeaten, which is quite an interesting statistic. You would expect at least two or three at this stage. Um, but Jorgarten are the only unbeaten team. They are playing on Thursday night against uh, Norshipping and they've actually got a tough match, um, a derby against Hammerby uh, to come at the weekend. So they might not stay top for, for much longer, but uh, they're going well at the moment. One of the players that you, uh, well, told us to all watch out for this year, Via Toure, has been pretty sharp in front of goal, I do believe, John. Um, but uh, you're going, are they for real? Well, they've started well under their new joint management team. Uh, they obviously are top of this table. They, they, I think one thing to be positive about from their point of view is they seem to have a lot of creative players, actually. Players who can maybe do something out of the blue, like Buatore, um, people who can create things like Witchery. That's like Witchery, who's obviously, um, he's been injured for the last few games, but he had that spell where, you know, those two games where he's, uh, that game where he scored two goals, sorry. And racked up tons of fantasy points. Um, you know, three in the win at Orebro. They beat EFK Jotterberg. I saw that game and I, th- I felt that EFK looked good on the break. And, you know, I actually felt at times that EFK would come away with a win there. But uh, yeah, they got the equaliser in the 83rd minute. And then Bouillatore went up the other end in the 88th minute. And uh, your garden ground out that win. These are sort of key, key, key games to come out on top of, you know, when you're not playing that well. Uh, and they did that. They, they just seem to have that creativity in the, in the last game as well against uh, Hacken. It was very small margins. Uh, Berg scored with a goal. And that's what I'm saying. They're just, they're just grinding things out at the moment. They look positive. They've got good, uh, like I say, players like Jonathan Ring, who, who's really creating a lot. Um, Nicholas Barcross, as I've mentioned. Bouillatore, they've got different elements about it. Again, they don't look, they look quite, you know, they don't, they're not one-dimensional. Some teams, I'd say they're quite one-dimensional, but your guard look like they have creativity in different areas of the pitch, and uh, it's certainly been a positive start for them in, in this season. Just wondered what your your thoughts are on the, on the joint manager situation, because A, you very rarely hear of it in top-level professional leagues anywhere, and B, 
whenever it has occurred, it usually ends in failure, really. I can't think of too many examples. One that comes to my head is the, the Salford City documentary that was done when they're in the lower league, you know, the Gary Neville owned club. Um, and they had joint managers there that did quite well, but that's, you know, that's conference and well below levels. But uh, I mean, it seems to be working well for your gut on though. I mean, is any one of the two particularly in control or is it genuinely 50-50 from what you know? Uh, it's working well so far. I mean, it's very early days. It's only four games. So uh, I remember once, it's not Swedish football related, but I remember interviewing a joint management team once in, in non-league, uh, Paul Hughes, who used to play for Chelsea. And uh, his part, uh, you know, managerial partner as well, who also played for Chelsea. And um, they gave a really interesting interview that I wrote up about the difficulties of it and how they come to a collective decision. They seem to be very well on on board with each other. They were really good friends, that kind of thing. But I remember, I remember funnily enough, they, they gave this whole spiel about it. And then I think three or four months later, they, they parted ways in terms of the joint managerial setup. I think it's very difficult. You, you, you have to have a very good rapport, I think, with the, 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 you know, the other man in charge. Um, so, you know, I think it's hard to uh, to make it work. But in the case of Kim Bergstrand and, and Thomas Lagerlof, that you know they've started well. So let's see how it goes. Uh, they said that they've got the right feeling. Um, they said in their opening press conference that it's good when you have two people to bounce off, um, you know, and share ideas. So, you know, they. they They've signed a three-year contract. There's no ideas that they're going to sort of uh, not get on. So at the moment, it looks to be working well. And they've been together at Sirius uh, in slightly different roles, but, you know, they, they've worked together before. So let's see how it, how, it, how it works out. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't work out because in all other forms of life, there's loads of partnerships, isn't there? And things like that where, you know, you have joint managers or joint people in, in, in control. I mean, it's all about working well with the other person, you know? I can imagine me and you as a joint managers, Johnson. Where? <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> you have to have a very clear idea of what you're doing. I think to, for it to work, if if you've got two people who aren't on the same page, it's not never going to work. You, you have to have the same outcomes, the same ambitions. Mm. I think you have to be looking at the same philosophy. Future. You know, you don't want one manager who's in back of his mind thinking, "I'd like to manage Man United in the future," while the other one's thinking, "I'll be in Oswald's for 20 years." You need to be on the same clear page for at least you know two, three, four years. Um, <clears throat> for it to work because I think when they when you start to lose games that's where problems come you know who do, who do the players go to do they get in one with one better than the other are they playing good cop bad cop you know it, it can create an extra layer of sort of a personal relationship problems but if they're both on the same page and it's in complete clarity then you know why not I, I'm not sure if it is there's no proven track record of it really working in, in terms of winning titles I remember Gerard Houllier and Roy Evans. Obviously, that was the most famous disaster, <laughs> disaster class uh, at Liverpool uh, in the nineties. But you know, I, I'm not going to sort of um, talk down on it when they're top of the league, am I? No, you, I mean they've got two big games for them, like I mentioned this week. A brief word on this Norshipping fixture on on, th on Thursday evening. I mean, Norshipping scored four goals last time out. I mean, this is a, quite a big game, isn't it? Well, Norshipping are my tip for the title, but they haven't really, they've not really started well, I think. And the biggest problem for them, I think, is, is conceding goals. They've conceded eight goals in four games, uh, which I think is really poor, to be honest, for any team with title aspirations. Um, Jordan Larson's, you know, did really well in their last, in one of their games and then got sent off. 
Um, but you know they've played, they've not even played really tough teams. They've conceded three at Helsingborg, two against Kalmar, three against Falkenberg. So that's quite worrying. I think they need to sort that out and sort that out fast. Jorgan will be a completely different prospect. And then they've also got Malmo at home in their game after that. So I think New Orleans really need to buck up their ideas, to be honest, if they're going to go anywhere near my title prediction. I know they started relatively slowly last year and then picked up form towards the end, but uh, you don't want to be too far out of it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's early days, but you know they're already five points behind your garden. So if they were to lose, it would be eight points, which is already quite a big gap, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Um, just talking about goal scorers, it is Larson who's top of the uh, the, the scoring charts this year. Four times uh, he scored. Is he, is he suspended for this game against your garden? Did he get sent off last time? I can't remember. Someone got sent off anyway. Um, but uh, looking down this uh, list of goal scorers and assists, and one name again stands out to me. Um, we've talked about him before. And we're going to have to talk about him again. And that's Benjamin Negren of uh, IFK Jotterbock. Three goals and three assists in just four games. I mean, that's outstanding, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, just to answer your question very quickly there, yes, Jordan Larson was sent off, so he, should, he will not be present. He got two yellow cards. Um, Benjamin Negren, where do we begin? I mean, um, I'm going to keep humble bragging about this one. As I say, I've been talking about this kid for a while. Uh I actually went back into one of my scout reports from 2017 uh, on a youth tournament and I graded pretty much every single player out of about 30 players uh, from A to D and top of the list was, the, I only gave three A grades and two of them were to Benjamin Negan and Jack Lane and both of them have since you know, justified I think those ratings. Uh, the third is, hasn't broken out yet but I'll keep him in mind for in the future. Um, but yeah, Negrin is the top creator in the league. Three goals, three assists, which is incredible, really, for someone so young. Um, I, I don't know where I can, you know, I spoke about him on the last podcast. The player I really, really like, and he's behind this whole new sort of uh, new look EF Core. Who, you know, one of the things with EF Core, Steve, is in the last sort of two, three years, I haven't really enjoyed just watching them. To be honest, they. I found them quite plain, quite boring, um, a bit wishy-washy in terms of what they're trying to do. One minute maybe they're going for, you know, a possession game. The next minute they're going for something else. Um, but they seem to be getting things gradually right on the pitch now. Uh, I know it's two wins, two defeats, but even in the defeat to your garden, they looked pretty good, I thought, on the break. Um, they, they're going to be an interesting side, I think. If they, if they can sort that defence, I still think that centre-back, they're a bit weak. Um, I don't think they really, you know, start felt for example on Calais, they were all poor against the Ugard and I think they, they, you know, they, they conceded soft goals. But if they can fix that, they've scored eight already. Uh, Negren is, like I said, doing really well. Uh, it's not just him as well. Lagomir, Paka Lagomir is doing well. Uh, Lassa Viba looks quite good. They've got a young lad, I think he's Nigerian, lad called Alhassan Yusuf, who's 18. He looked good against um, in their most recent game. So you know, they've got, they've, as I mentioned on the preseason podcast, they've nicked one of Gifsundsvall's uh, coaches who's very highly rated. They just seem to be putting a few things into gear at the moment. And uh, yeah, the biggest talking point really for them at the moment is Benjamin Negan's contract situation, as I mentioned before. 
Uh, his contract expires, I believe, in 2020. They're now trying to tie him down to a long-term deal, but uh, talks are going on, but he's like the golden child of the club at the moment. You know, the fans are loving him, and um, he's the bright sort of young, shining light of this new EF core team. Yes. Um, I mean, this is a player that you've been following personally for uh, you know a good two, three years now, um, following out when you're out there in Sweden. And uh, I, I, we know there's a lot of you know scouts listening to this podcast clubs are, are very much interested in this player um so before we move on you know how, just how far can he go and and how quickly you know can is he gonna be at risk of transferring away from the league this summer for example do you think um you know i know i know he's got a great potential but just how much and how quickly do you think well he's, he's i'll be honest he surprised me in his development uh, I said before, I really rate him, but I, I didn't expect him to, you know, he's 17. I didn't expect him to have be the top goal and assist provider within this short space of time. Um, he's a very cool customer. Really good feet, like I've said. He, he, he's good in the air. He's on penalties as well, which is a level of responsibility that, again, for a 17-year-old in, in a dressing room full of, you know, experienced characters, um, that's a sign in itself of his maturity. And the confidence that the players have in him. Uh, where can he go? I think they're going to have a problem tying him down, to be honest, because they're going to have to give him a good contract. And as we know in Osvenskan, you know, players don't tend to stay that long. Look at Alexander Isak; he, he he had a good run and it was gone straight away. Um, you know, to Dortmund. Uh, Niger has had interest from clubs, as I've mentioned before. He, he spent some time at Brighton on on trial. Um, there's rumours Manchester City have looked at him. You know, the biggest thing for now for now is can they tie him down to a contract? Because if, if they don't, then the buyout isn't going to be huge. But I think there's going to be a political desire to, to tie him down because if they were to lose him, it's almost like giving away a crown jewel. You know, the, he, he's like the symbol of this new EF Court team. It's becoming more than just a football player. You know, at, at times you need, you need something to cling on to, really, when you're rebuilding. And... It would be too early for them to let him go unless it was a, a crazy offer, I think. Yeah, I mean, he certainly seems like very hot property. And I've seen his name mentioned an awful lot, you know, on Twitter, online. And, you know, it seems like everyone's trying to get onto his bandwagon now. Uh, you know, even guys who don't really know much about him pretend they know uh, plenty about him, but don't. But, um, yes, he's certainly a bright talent and one to watch. Um, let's, well, before we finish, let's talk about a couple more teams and... Uh, they don't really get a mention very much on the Nordic Football Podcast, but they are third currently in the Arsvenskan, Elsborg. Um, they're going well, aren't they, at the moment? They've had a couple of good wins recently, John, and um, they've caught your eye a little bit. Slightly, yes. Um, two wins out of five, two draws, one defeat, nine goals. They're looking quite good. Uh, one player, maybe fantasy players might be interested in is Pavel Sabitsky, uh, ex-Leeds and ex-Malmo, of course, and he's back in the league now. And he's just picked up a little bit of form lately and, and been a little bit responsible for their rise in, in form uh, with two wins in the last three. I think they've had relatively easy games. I think Urubur are one of the worst teams in the league and they gave them a 4-2 spanking. Uh, Gifson's father not in good form at the moment and they beat them 3-1 and then they drew Ostersen. But EF Core beat, beat them 3-0 uh, quite comfortably. So... The jury's still out for me on Elsborg. Like I said before, I think their manager has got something to prove this season. Um, but so far, they, you know, they're looking quite good. I'm not going to be down on them. They've got some good players as well. Holman, uh, 
Sabitsky as well, as I mentioned. Um, Levi is quite a good player. He scored two goals. So, you know, Pair Frit, they do have some talent in their ranks, actually, uh, when you look at their squad. So, you know, Kevin Cabran as well. I know you said he's a bit inconsistent, but they, they, they have a little bit of talent. So, bigger tests to come. I think they've got serious away, then no shopping, then Malmo away. So, let's see where they are in three games' time. But uh, a good run for them so far. Yeah, Levi was ex-Rosenborg, I do believe, if that's the same Levi anyway. Um, again, an, an inconsistent sort of player. One minute can be brilliant and the next minute can be sort of crap, really. Um, and Cabran can, can have his brilliant moments. And uh, But yeah, they're doing well. Let's keep an eye on them, Elspore. Um, uh, down towards the, the bottom of the table... Uh, well, at the start of the season, you predicted Sirius were going to have a, a tough, tough year. They did start with a couple of wins, but it's starting to go a little bit pear-shaped for them now. Um, do you think it's going to keep getting worse? Well, the stats are okay. The underlying stats aren't too bad. They're not They're not um, bottom feeders by any sense of the imagination. They're, they're down to seven. Just dried up a little bit in terms of form after two wins in a row. Playing, you know, to Calmar you know, and AFC Eskers doing a, it's a fairly kind run to begin, but they've now had then they had AIK and Malmo. Understandably, lost those and then drew at, drew at Falkenberg. So they've got a couple of interesting players in their side in their squad. Um, but yeah, just signs that maybe things are starting to slow down slightly for them. Who right now do you think is the worst team in the Alsvenskan? Um, who really is, is is not playing very well? Uh, order for me. They're, they're stinking the joint out, unfortunately. I mean, they they got a massive win against Oyeko actually. To be fair to them, uh, beat them, beat the champions, which you know. How was that quite, possible? I think quite unexpected. Yeah, a very late goal, um, nice goal as well um, by Rogic, who scored two in that game, but. Yeah, I mean, the bottom of the table, they've conceded 10 in five. They're not doing much. I don't expect them to do much. I said in the season preview podcast, they'll struggle. They are struggling quite badly, probably worse than I expected, in fact. Um, I worry for them, to be honest. I, I don't think the Carlos Strandberg is going to be enough to really rescue them. I mentioned they lost roughly more than 50% of their goals from last season, thanks to the losses of Igbo and Anike and uh, Nahe Basara. And I, I just think that's too much for them to bear. I, I do, I really do worry about them, uh, to be honest. Falkenberg are the other ones who are sort of near the bottom, but their underlying statistics are quite good. They, they're doing fine, to be honest, according to the stats. I don't know if that's because they've had some big chances, penalties and, and the like, but they're actually near the top of uh, the expected goal charts. They're second in the whole league in terms of expected goals. So, you know, do we believe in stats or is it a bit miscu you know, a bit skewiff? But that that's the fact really that um they're ahead of Hacken who are third and behind Malmo in terms of expected goals. So Falkenberg, although they're near the bottom, you know, they're not looking too bad, but Audible for me they are um they're quite smelly. I actually agree with you about uh, Falkenberg. Um if you look at the teams they've lost against, they are against sides that you would expect, Norshipping Hecken and uh, Ostersons. They've kept two clean sheets at home. And, you know, in, in the matches that, that matter, I mean, if they're going to stay up, they're going to have to do it in that mini league at the bottom, aren't they? And so far, they've got four points out of those matches against sort of poorer sides. So 
yeah, I think there's, there's certainly hope for Falkenberg and uh, want to keep an eye on there. They might be a little bit better than their, their position suggests. So, uh, well, I think that pretty much covers it for, for Sweden's um, uh, at the moment, John. Well, yes, um, but before we go, I have a question for you, Steve. Oh. Then the, can you put this sequence into order or make sense of it? Eight, <laughs> 63, 18, 24. What's that again? 863. 18. 18. 24. 24. Well, it's late at night and uh, maths, although, you know, is I'm all right at maths. Goodness me. No, uh, there's no pattern here off the top of my head. Those are our positions in the fantasy leagues that we have created <laughs> at present. Mm-hmm. Now we have... You are eighth in the Elite Serian League, and I am in 63rd. And uh, I'm 18th in the uh, Allspenskan League, and you're 24th. And uh, you're actually in the relegation zone there, Steve, because uh, it's a 26-man league. So th- that's the pattern for you there. There is. G- I'm going to be completely reshaping my uh, side in the Allspenskan. I'm going to use uh, a wild card week uh, because I'm not happy with a lot of the players that I've got in there, to be honest with you, John. Um, but so yeah, I've been I've been fairly solid in the Norwegian, in the Elite Assyrian one. Um, in fact, there's been some good scorers uh, in that league. Actually, some uh, some quite impressive figures from uh, a number of competitors, and uh, we welcome uh, anyone who wants to join those uh, those leagues. We will send out some uh, join codes uh, on on Twitter for you. And you can join. Yeah, you've got some competition there, Steve. I think this season you're still top eight in, in Norway, which is good, but. I've been looking at the tables, and there's been some high high rollers in the, in both leagues. Um, someone in the Osvenskan league, Captain Sabitsky, this week, which is a bit of a masterstroke. Um, and uh, Elfborg looks to be a team that people are starting to wake up to, so that's one to maybe consider. I'll be keeping an eye on them. Uh, but yeah, if you want to join those leagues, we'll be posting links on our Twitter page at Nordic Footpod, uh, and also on Nordic Football Podcast on Facebook. So follow us and like us on those pages. And yeah, Joy, we'll, we'll post the code. Uh, we do it regularly, post the league table. Currently top of the league is Neeps versus Swedes, Ian Reid. So well done to you. And top of the Elite Serian Fantasy League is a guy called FPL Graphics, Joe M. So that's the man there, Steve, to target. And yeah, it's been fun so far. I'm quite enjoying it, actually. And uh, we've gained quite a lot of new followers. So thanks to everyone who's, who's joined. Uh, and playing FPL and I hope this podcast has been useful in gaining some intel inside information yeah it's been a lot of fun and um, I'm, I'm the fantasy is it's really good to see that um, a lot of interest have been in the fantasy leagues um, you know in Elite Serien and Al Svenskan I think it can only grow um, some more really so uh, yeah get, join uh, join our leagues I hope everyone's been enjoying my uh, little videos I've been posting up every now and then on some Elite Serien fantasy advice where can we find that? On, our, on the Nordic Football Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe to that channel um, and you'll get notifications when these uh, videos come in. The, the the fantasy videos are only accessible on the YouTube channel. They're not a podcast. Um, they're not on, um, on any other format apart from the YouTube. So get viewing on there specifically for that. I, there's no set plan when I do them, but probably once every two or three weeks. Um, yeah, Considering my league position in 63rd, I think I'm going to have to start subscribing to that myself. 
<laughs> well, you know, you've you've had uh, you've been improving. You weren't you down in the bottom five at one point? You have. Uh... Yeah, and you posted it on Twitter straight away after one round. Yeah, that was that was kind of your uh, thank you. Name dropped me as well and everything, but uh, I haven't actually changed my team since the beginning of the season, so I might need to pay Norway a little bit more attention there via your uh, very impressive YouTube channel. Well, you know, I think I need to um, do a bit of research into Sweden as well, you know, in the relegation zone there. Yeah, you can't be getting relegated. Steve. We'll, have get new, we'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I can survive by the playoff, do a Kalmar, as you said. But, uh, well, my for the weekend is uh, you know, maybe maybe you should stock up on Eurogarden players against North Shopping. It might be it might be an upset there coming, but uh, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's it's weird because like I added that Islamovic from Osterson because I thought you know he'd get a few goals against uh, it, it was Elfsborg at the weekend. He did sod all. I, I forgot to actually take him out of the team, and he but he scores a goal against uh, AFC away. So it's a funny old game, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, I think my, from my point of view, my only Malmo players remain goal who's not even playing at the moment. So I'm going to be making some changes, I think, soon. I can't be eight, eight I'm not having 18. Uh, you know, and it'd be good to see some more people join that league if you get a chance. If you, if you yeah. like doing shovel, uh, let's push it up to the over 30 and see if we can get even further down. <laughs> let's get a 50 team league, and then I can at least say. Um, well, hopefully, I'll be. Well, I'm struggling, aren't I, in that uh, fantasy league at the moment? It's a ba- battle for survival. Anyway, so good podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again uh, very soon. Uh, thanks very much, John. Thanks very much to our guest, Gunnar Tolness, again. And uh, we'll see you all again very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>